Well, welcome everyone to our Country Living Forum. Uh, before we start, let's, let's just pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness to us and the fact that you have a plan for our lives, for our families, for our communities. And Lord, I pray that as we discuss living in the country, um, and as we share our experiences, that you'll direct our discussion, um, that you'll be praised and honoured, and um, that uh, we'll be able to learn from each other's experience and how you have led us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Amongst the group of people that we have here this afternoon, we have quite a range of experiences of living in the country. So we have some that have lived in the country all their lives, some that have lived remotely, maybe even in the outback, as we would call it in Australia. Um, we have folk who have lived their lives in very densely populated centres and some that are in the middle of a transition and also some that have made a transition from living in urban areas to the country. So, uh, Justin and Yvette, I'll introduce people to start with. Justin and Yvette um, have just presented in our Country Living series here at Cultivate and uh, shared a lot of their experience, but hopefully we can get a few more juicy details out of them as we go around. David and his family live in the suburbs of Adelaide and are very soon to make their transition to a country, a country property they've bought south of Adelaide. And then Jeffrey is living in Brisbane after coming to Australia from Indonesia via Malaysia, or Singapore, sorry. The island metropolis of Singapore and uh, now live in Adelaide also. All right, and if we come this way, Desley, my wife, well, she's a city girl as well, but we, we knocked that out of her a few years ago. <laughs> and then we've got a, a couple of country girls at heart, and then we have Arena who grew up in Lightning Ridge, and then we had Jana who grew up in country Germany. Northern Germany? Northern Germany. Freezing cold country. Okay, um, well, I'm going to skip over... Skip over Justin and Yvette because we've heard a bit from them to start with. Um, David, I'm wondering if, if you might kick off um, our discussion in just briefly explaining or describing the pathway that God has led you to this point. Um, what life was like growing up and, and as a child and a young man and what sort of influences caused this transition that you've gone through to the point where you now have bought a property in country Australia and you're moving your family there? Yeah, I wasn't expecting it, but <laughs> I'll try to summarise it. Um, I was born and raised in South Korea and like my parents moved into a country like when I was young, when I was five years ago, five years old, and then I was there but like my, it was more like my father and mother was a farmer and I'm just, you know, taking along. But um, I wasn't thinking too much about country living or whatnot, I was just living there. But I, once I went to middle school and high school, 
they sent me to boarding school, like Adventist boarding school, which is in the city. So at that point, my experience stopped. But like I wasn't actually enjoying it at that time when I was young. It wasn't my decision. It was my parents' decision. So um, I didn't think about it. But slowly, um, I finished my uni and whatnot. I wanted to study a bit more. And that prompted me to move to Australia because my sister-in-law wanted to move to Australia because of the uh, because of the wants that they wanted to escape from the hectic life in big city. So I wanted to try. At the same time, I can improve my English and stuff like that. So we came and um, I was just doing normal thing. I wasn't really to do with any country living thing, but slowly. I don't know, somehow God helped me to find my own uh, relationship with God as opposed to my parents' relationship because I was, you know, second generation Adventist. So um, I started to be more involved in the church and whatnot. And I moved to Melbourne because of my job. And I went there. I met a really enthusiastic uh, group of people that really focuses on like um, evangelism or like looking up to your spiritual side of things. So they helped me to realize a bit more about what it means to be a Christian. And then after that, I was re-examining my life and I was, my trade is software engineering. So I sit in front of computer all day long. Um, I was not, unhappy but I wasn't too happy either so I was you know looking at the options but then slowly I was talking to my friends and they were interested in growing some things and going out to the nature more often and that allowed me to um, consider what kind of life that I had when I was young as opposed to my kids experience now so although I'm in Australia which is more which allows you to have more uh, experience in the nature than South Korea. But my children, I felt like I didn't want them to go through the thing that I have gone through. I didn't want them to be in the city growing up all the way, although I was in the country for when I was young. But um, so I'm hoping that God is leading us to a better situation for my family and also I feel like I, f I want more from the school but at the same time I understand why the school can't be run as you know how I would like to run so I'm still also considering homeschooling too if that's an option but we try not to go too fast so we want to move into country first and then see how we go with the uh, settling and then we'll decide whether Homeschooling is something that we can do or not. So I think he's still uh, allowing me to find a job that is freeing myself not to be in a commute. I can work from home all day long if I wanted to. So I think God is showing me the way that I can go to where I wanted to go. And it feels like he's leading us. Sometimes I'm questioning whether it's the right path or not. But um, yeah, well, we are on a journey, so, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at.
So those of us that have made the transition from living in the city to the country um, realise that you've got some challenges in front of you. And they'll be different for every circumstance, but Desley, um, growing up in suburban Brisbane and then uh, making a transition to the country in Western Australia, do you want to share some of the challenges that you faced? Sure. God was very gentle on me. He transitioned to me slowly. I, I grew up in Brisbane. Um, I went to college at Avondale, which is semi-rural at that time. And then I was a teacher in Goulburn, which is another small town. So he kind of transitioned me out of the city and into small rural. And then I went to Western Australia. I realised a lot of things about myself that I didn't know, like that I couldn't see in the dark because all my life it had never been dark. Um, and so walking at night, I would actually hold onto Rod's shirt because I couldn't see where I was going and he would just lead me. I realised I had um, uh, illogical fears of spiders, snakes, anything that creeps and crawls. Uh, so I had to deal with them as well. And I, I purposed in my heart to deal with them before my children... Um, adopted my same illogical fears because I knew that if I was afraid of spiders and wanted to stomp on every spider I saw or spray it, that that's, my children would have that. If I was afraid of snakes, then my children would have that. And I didn't want them to have these fears. I wanted them to learn to grow up responsible and thinking um, and be able to, yeah, just live with nature. So I had these kind of things. I had... Um, not being able to just go down the shops. Um, I had to learn how to um, plan ahead. There's meals, anything that we wanted, plan ahead so that I'm not having to, well, we just don't go to town every day. Um, all sorts of just little things in life that we take for granted when we live in suburbia. Um, even your mail, I mean, where we were initially, we only got our mail twice a week. So you had to be prepared for that. And you couldn't just post a letter whenever you wanted. And when I was young, we didn't have internet to pay bills either. So you, you had to be organised and you had to get to town before the bills needed paying. And it was just a different, totally different life for me. Um, a more, I guess, thoughtful life, mindful life, as opposed to just life happened in the city. Did you find it in some ways stressful? as you're going through this learning experience? It's kind of hard to remember. Um, That's right, you had six children. <laughs> um, stressful. I think, I, I think God had prepared me and I embraced it. There were frustrations, probably more I would call it frustrations. We had a... We had a unique experience, as you all will have unique experiences. No one's experience is going to be the same. But when we um, first moved on to our own property in WA, I had no electricity either, um, except for this clunky old <laughs> generator that, anyway, it, it, was <laughs> it was frustration. You couldn't just wash when you wanted to wash. You couldn't... 
vacuum when you wanted to vacuum. You couldn't have an electric fridge, the convenience of cold food. You couldn't have an electric or gas oven. You had to have a wood oven. Just such a steep learning curve for me that I, I think <laughs> it was very challenging in that way. I don't, I don't think it was stressful, but I think it, I had some frustrations and I had a very steep learning curve. I just want to ask you also, were you successful in overcoming your fear of these critters and your children, where are they at with their fears of these critters? I've overcome my fear of the creatures. I still have a dislike for them, but I don't, I'm not afraid of them. As, like, I, would, I would sit at my, my second child is a boy and he is a nature lover and I would just be sitting at my computer trying to get some work done. You know how you can just get really focused? All of a sudden there'd be this huge huntsman in front of my face and I'd be like, ah! <laughs> uh, he just delighted in doing that to me and I had to learn to go, oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> um, so I've learnt... I've learned to I've learned to control my emotions and my reactions because I still don't like it like I don't yeah like big fat frogs like <laughs> I'm not afraid of them but I don't particularly like them. Uh, my children have no fear, um, none whatsoever. They'll they'll allow spiders to run all over them. They go and pick up a snake. They they have no fear. They have respect, but they have no fear. So by God's grace, I've managed to not pass that on to them. So Desley mentions a generator. Um, I was a bit offended when she called it clunky <laughs> because it just ran, oh, it's just a beautiful machine. challenge was it was an old 32-volt system made in the 1950s and the batteries were pretty old. That was her challenge. Yvette, did you face any challenges like that? Just one more thing. I had to wear summer and winter. I had to wear Ugg boots to do my washing because my machine shorted and when I stuck my fingers in the water, it would zap me. <laughs> so I, if I wore my Ugg boots, it grounded me. So <laughs> Why didn't you call the electrician? Um, <laughs> Desley hasn't yet mentioned the sorts of accommodation that she lived in when we first shifted to the country. Um, I think we've all heard of the great Aussie shed. Okay, and David... And Jeffrey, I hope you've got a good shed on your property. Um, do you have houses to move into? Well, aren't your wives privileged? <laughs> because my wife, nor Justin's wife, had that privilege of living in a house when we shifted to the country. Yvette. Give me that, give me that before you. <laughs> give me that before you go to my wife. I want to do a bit of background because I know where you're going. <laughs> the challenges are there for a blessing and the challenges are given to us by God. Let me, can I explain? Please. I grew up on, in, uh, in, a suburb, in suburbia, outer northwestern suburbia of Sydney, quiet neighbourhood. When I was 12, we moved on five acres, a bit further northwest. And we had horses and geese and chooks and Sorry. sheep. And Sorry you had It was all right until they had babies and then a little bit aggressive. <laughs> and then when we married... We moved out country slash wilderness. We had a national park behind us and in front of us. We're off the grid 
tank water, garbage bin was five k's down the road, letterbox five k's down the road, dirt road, all that sort of caper. But it was a really nice house. It was a very, very nice house. That's a loaded statement. <laughs> <coughs> and God told us to leave. And now you can ask my wife the questions of the challenges. Now you're going to ask my wife what's it like living in a shed and living in a shed for about s- how long? Seven. <coughs> I-, I reckon it's about six months, but she's telling me it's eight years. <laughs> what's it like, Yvette? Well, it's not so bad now, but when we first moved onto the property, all that was there was the shed. We had no water laid on, no uh, kitchen, no anything, no power. So to do any, any showering, you had to heat up water or use a solar shower. Um, it just literally took all day just to live. You couldn't do anything else. Um, there was no uh, refrigeration, so we just had like an esky with ice in it and things would go off really quickly in that condition. So it was quite tough, but because we were, I guess, really excited moving on to our property, um, it didn't worry me as much. But now the eight years has <laughs> clicked over, I'm like really eager to get into our house. We're very, very close to moving into our house. Yes, I'm owner-builder. <laughs> yeah, Desley's had a few experiences like that as well. Um, we first shifted into a three-metre-square tin garden shed. And we had a kerosene-powered fridge in one corner, a small table in the other one underneath the window, and then... Uh, during the daytime, we had a mattress on our recycled brick floor. Is this in WA or you're talking here? No, this is in Western Australia. Yeah. And uh, during the night, uh, we'd sleep on it and during the day, we'd stand it up against the wall so we had somewhere to walk in the shed. And we lived in that until we built a shed which was probably about eight metres by four or five metres. Once again, recycled bricks just laid on the floor on top of plastic to uh, you know, keep the dampness out. And I went to a, a nearby sawmill that had all these huge piles of roundbacks, as we call them. You know, it's after the sawmilling's finished and there's, 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 a, there's part of the log still left that they can't, can no longer cut timber out of. And so I dragged all these home on the trailer and I built a, a sh- or another shed, couldn't call it a house, um, with all of these roundbacks standing up. Okay, and I just trimmed them and butted up to each other to, so that... The cracks were only small, and we lived in that. Um, and then we sold that property to shift a K up the road where we bought a larger property and we built a mud brick house there. Um, but before the house was a five metre by five metre shed. <laughs> and by this time we had a little baby. And uh, I don't know, the whole experience was fantastic. I agree, Justin, it seems like about six months. But, but that didn't cure Desley because... Just recently, uh, a couple of years ago, we shifted into the latest house that I built. And before that, we lived for what? Too long. Four years. Four years in some temporary accommodation. And what was the temporary accommodation? Um, it wasn't a shed. And we're talking about your children sleeping in, and you're talking, we're talking your children sleeping in swags, I do believe. Yeah, so um, uh, 
our accommodation was a, a caravan and that acted as the kitchen and there was a couple of little bedrooms on the end where our younger children slept. And then there was a, a what do you call it, cool room panel sort of thing, solid annex on the caravan, um, which was fine. It was, it was a large, large space and there was a bathroom in one corner. Um, but when you've got six kids, um, a relatively large space isn't really much space at all. And, you know, we had a lounge and our double bed was in one corner of it and then there was a dining room table and Desley's office. And, you know, so it was really small. And there certainly wasn't enough space for our, our children, to, our older children to, to sleep in there. So for nearly four years they slept in, a, in their swags. Um, I guess we're all familiar with what a swag is. Um, and so when it was raining, they dragged it over into the shed, which was nearby, and when it was clear, they just dragged it somewhere in the paddock under a tree or somewhere wherever they wanted. And yeah, they did that for four years. That wore thin with them after a while. And uh, the house had got to the stage where, you know, the roof was on, etc., and they decided they'd go and sleep in there, so they dragged their swags up there. I understand you're the moderator. Can I ask you a question? Do you think your children resent the fact that they lived camping for four years non-stop, living in a swag, not having their own bedroom with their own stuff? Because that's something I'm, I'm, I'm battling with, with my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, as you're asking that question, I'm, I'm trying to think, and I can't remember any... They got sick of it, you know, especially in summer when it was wet and hot. But I can't remember it going to resentment. Desley? No, there are times when they, they will talk about it. It depends who they're talking to, you know how children can be. They don't, they don't resent it, they enjoyed it. They enjoyed getting into their house. They love having their rooms now. However, they're still happy at the moment we have our house full of the Dysingers. They're more than happy to get into their swags and sleep back out in the paddock. Uh, it's not something that they never want to do again because they had to do for four years. So it sounds like a really hard thing for children. Um, and yeah, it, I, I think even if they look back on it during a period of their life and think that was hard, uh, when they actually get older and they can look back on the benefits of the life that they've lived, um, they will appreciate it. You know how it is when we're adults. We can look back with a new perspective than when we're children. And as parents, sometimes we have to make decisions that are best for our children, but it's not what they want. And what they want is not always the best thing for them. You know, it's, it's like any child. They would be happy just to eat ice cream for tea. But is that best? No. So we don't allow that. And we have to make those decisions in a lot of areas for our children. And um, when we want our children to grow um, in an environment where the world's not pulling at them the whole time to conform to the world, when we want to protect them from that or when we want to give them a lifestyle where they will have practical skills that will serve them anywhere they go, anytime, any country, um, sometimes that takes some hard decisions and some, some uncomfortable living. But it's, 
I think eventually, eventually, those that may think it was a bad time of their life, I think they'll be able to look back on it as parents, especially when they have their own children and recognise the sacrifice that their parents made for them and the reasons why the parents made that choice. Sometimes we have to wait for that. Children aren't always the most grateful. I think there's two issues here. Like, If you've got bucket loads of money, country living's a breeze in many aspects. So we're talking people on a tight budget, the, the four of us, and it comes with extra challenges. But we were living in the country before, and like I said, we had a really nice house. It only had two bedrooms, so we would have had to put another bedroom on. And uh, over time, you forget the few problems. You know, the solar system needed to be expanded and stuff. But not a huge amount of money. I'm, I'm spending a lot more money down where I am than I ever did there. So it's the, it's the tight budget on top of it as well. It can be a real challenge. But it, it helps you keep hold of Christ. Like, I think... Because we often ask, why did we move where we were? And people see, I showed a, a, a picture, cause we had it on the computer for our forum, I showed it to your sister, and she said, why did you leave there? It was because God told us. So we've got to look back and think, you know, what, you know sort of why, and, and uh, you know, we, our character must have needed the challenges. It just must have been, you know, s- smooth sailing, I think. Don't you think? Come a bit too. I mean, yeah, it had challenges, but nothing like we're going through, you know. So yeah. So I, I really appreciate that perspective, Justin, because I don't want to push this analogy too far. But um, when the children of Israel were way out in the middle of the desert, if someone wandered past and saw what the challenges they were experiencing, you'd understand that person saying, "Why did you leave Egypt?" The thing was they were following the cloud and uh, that's what you were doing as well. And it's really important for us to remember that, why we're doing it, to understand what our motive is. And I know uh, John Dysinger over in the market gardening stream is repeatedly repeating, (laughs) don't even think about launching out into market gardening un- unless you know you are led by God to do it. A calling. It needs to be a calling, otherwise it's just too hard. We, we, we need to have the, the conscious understanding that this is God's will and we're not making it up in our madness. Because otherwise we, we'll turn back. We will. It's, we need that surety that this is God's will for our lives and that of our families. Satan's told me many a times I made a mistake. And these gentlemen here moving to the country, uh, you know, Satan will tell them as well. I mean, I said in our workshop that church members will tell you you're doing the wrong thing. Not only because they're feeling guilty, because they know they should be in the country, but they're not. And... Um, so you've got these voices. So you must know that God's called you to. You must know the, uh, the scripture behind it, the spirit of prophecy. So when the challenges come through, you can, you can work your way through it. Hmm. So David, when he was sharing his brief testimony, explained how his parents made the decision to shift into the country in South Korea. And now he had no choice. David had no choice about that. And the experience wasn't really the best for you at that time from your perspective. 
Um, children are powerfully impacted by the decisions we make, obviously, and I'm just wondering whether Shan... So, four or five years ago, um, your family made the decision to shift into the country, and you are really in the country where you are. How's, how's that? And you've heard us share some of the challenges that our children have faced. Um, how is it from a young person's perspective? And just those of you who don't know, um, Shanna and, and her, par- her family shifted onto a, a, a property um, at Marlow American, uh, near Rollins Plains, just over the hill from us. And uh, there were some tracks to get into the, most of the property is bush. There were some four-wheel drive tracks to get in um, across a couple of creeks. You know, it's when it rains, they stay at home. (laughs) Or they stay out. Or they stay out if they're on the wrong side of the creek. How many creek crossings have you got? I'm trying to count. The river, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven, seven or eight creeks. Including the river. Yeah, okay. Five that normally flow. Okay, so, um, but when they shifted there, there was a concrete slab where someone, a previous owner, had intended to build a house. And that was pretty well it. And so Shanna and her siblings have gone through the experience of contributing to building a house. And it didn't take eight years. But it's still going. (laughs) You know, and and this is another warning for those of you that are thinking of shifting to the country. Um, (coughs) How can I say this without prejudice? I mean, what's the word? Um, Condemning myself or something. (laughs) That's the challenge. That uh, if you think that the house is close enough to being finished, we'll shift in now, just recognise it will probably never get finished because once you shift in, there are other priorities that come up in your life and those in our house we don't have floor coverings, we don't have skirting boards, we're, you know, there's all sorts of things that aren't finished and that's probably how it'll... Shh, but that's probably how it'll stay for a little while. But Shan... Um, <laughs> are you willing... You're happy to share your experience, your perspective as a young person? Um, so I guess where to start was we were living near Tari at the time. This is, oh, for a long time, Mum had been reading lots of books and she's like, we have to move to the country. This is what Ellen White says. This is what the Bible says. You know, this is just what we're called to do. Watching lots of, um, I don't know if you know, back to, oh, some family in America has a ministry talking about moving to the country, country living, university or something. I don't know what that one is. Um, Dave Westbrook, yeah, so she's li- watching all this stuff and she's like getting all of us kids pumped up about this and we're like, yeah, this sounds good, we've lived in town like our whole lives and imagine having freedom to live on a property and run around and we'll do all those fun things. So we all got pretty excited and um, the first step was we had to sell our house and we'd been working in that house for maybe five years, um, just we'd rent, um, it was like an empty shell upstairs and we just like had to build it. So we'd, yeah, we'd just keep building houses sort of thing. But mum's like, yeah, finally we have to move to the country, we're trying, you know, we just need to get out. And so um, we prayed that we would be able to sell our house somehow and it was like a total miracle how that happened and it happened really quickly and not what was happening in the area at the time. So we knew it was God leading. Um, and I remember very clearly as we were like moving out, we were going to move up to Warhope just to live in Warhope for a little bit to see, you know, where God led next and what country property, like live in the area before you move out to the, the property. Um, so we did that and I remember Dad saying clearly to me, he's like, 
so you, you're excited about it, but you know, it's possible we might actually have to live in a tent and we might have to like really rough it. And are you still just as excited? I'm like, um, yeah, let's do this. <laughs> this is cool. So like all of us kids went out like, this is awesome. This is something new, something exciting. And um, it was new and exciting. And um, when we finally found the property and like it's a whole miracle how that happened as well, um, we had to go out there and work with um, lots of leeches and lots of ticks and lots of snakes and lots of animals like that. It was a very overgrown property that we had to clear first. And um, yeah, I remember my little sister, she would like cry every time we were going to go out to the property to work on it because there's leeches and they're going to get me and oh, I don't want to go this time. Um, so yeah, that's sort of what we had to go through. But like for me, I loved it and it was hard work, but we needed hard work and um, God taught us through that. So yeah, I mean, there's so many challenges and so many experiences I could share. But yeah, overall, from my perspective, I'm so grateful for it. And I'm pretty sure the rest of my siblings are so grateful for it as well. Yeah. So, so Shanna's dad is a plumber, so she she can do plumbing. But just think of the other, all the other experiences and skills that Shanna and her siblings have had as they've built a house. Um, when we were building our house, Shanna's mum used to bring Shanna and her siblings over, and they did our jib rocking. You know, all of the kids were involved. You know, the skills, the practical skills that our young people can learn. But, but Shanna, did you, did you ever live in a tent? Did you get to the point where you lived in a tent? Um, not quite. <laughs> we, um, I remember staying in a tent on the slab when we first moved out there just to get ready to work early in the morning. But um, never lived there as such. We still had our rental in town where we went to and from. We moved in when the house was just at lock-up stage, so we had windows in, we had a little bit of um, walls on most of the house, not all of the house, um, and we had a roof over our head, but we didn't have ridge capping, so water still got in. Yeah, and that was just, we moved in just before it flooded a lot, and the whole house got very wet, and all our stuff, but yeah, it was still really good, and really challenging. <laughs> You're smiling about it. Laughing about it, but that's what Desley was saying. After a little while, it <laughs> doesn't seem so bad. When I when I s heard rain after that first experience of being there and like being totally wet and totally not being able to get out and isolated and everything, I would like almost cry every time it rained because I'm like, is it going to happen again? <laughs> so it was hard going through it. My my experience started off with a tent. Um, when I was 12, my parents bought a country property and uh, 40 acres. Wish they still lived there. Um, yeah, and we had a little family tent that acted as our kitchen, my mum's kitchen, and we, we ate underneath the peppermint trees and I lived in a two... My bedroom was a two-man tent. Um, yeah, and we lived in that for, I don't know, probably three or four months until, until my dad managed to build a, a slab hut that we lived in, yeah. Um, I don't mind tents. What do you think about tents, Justin? I was just thinking that um, as providers of the family, we can beat ourselves up a little bit about how perhaps our family is living. And I was just thinking before, you were, you were living in a, in a shed and, and we're living in a shed. And I was thinking of um, the patriarchs of old that lived in tents 
And um, think of the wealth that Abraham had. And um, that's why he chose. They lived in tent. I mean, extremely wealthy people. Um, I think it's right to long for a better place. I think that's something God puts in us. But we must realise that better place is, is heaven and then the new earth. So I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting something a bit better as long as it's in line with God's will. And you know, living in a shed is better than living under a tree. Living under a tree is better than living out in the open. Um, and living out in the open is better than not, being living, not living at all. So <laughs> it's all relative. But uh, it'd be nice to live in a proper home. Desley, um, I, I listened to a, a market gardening podcast called Farmer to Farmer, and if you're interested in farming, agriculture, gro- growing vegetables, um, I really encourage you to listen to it. But one of the questions that that the presenter asks everyone that comes on is, "What is your favourite tool on the farm?" Okay, what is your favourite tool on the farm? And so I'd like to do that. Um, I'm going to start with Desley and ask a few people, uh, whatever, um, so that those who are thinking about making the transition put a mental note. I might need one of those, okay? And it'll depend on circumstances. So Desley, what's your favourite tool on the farm or in your homesteading or however you like to put it? What has been in the past was really significant to you? My large solar system. (laughs) Um, That would have to be my favourite, is knowing that we're we're completely off the grid, so we have no state electricity. We have panels on our roof and batteries. That would have to be my favourite. After living without power and after living with just a generator... um, having a solar system and knowing that I have electricity and I have the convenience of cooking, vacuuming, ironing, whatever, almost whenever I want, um, that would be my absolute favourite. Not quite what you were thinking of? (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 you're being truthful. Um, You know, it just reminds me of, you know, the counsel husbands are given about providing every convenience for their wives so that they're not spending all their life slaving over, you know, those, what can I say, those mechanical things that need to be done for the family, cooking and the cleaning and things like that. So, no, I, I, I get that. <laughs> How about you, Justin? What you just said, that's a work in progress, bro. <laughs> well, I know what Yvette says, so I'm going to pass it to her first. Okay. There's a reason for that. My most important thing would be my wood cook stove because it not only cooks our food but it heats our water, heats the home. So it's most important to do all those things because I like a hot shower. (laughs) And I don't want to preempt, but I think I know what your favourite tool is now. Well, actually, it should be the other way around. My favourite tool should be the wood cook stove and Yvette should be the chainsaw. That's true. (laughs) So I wore out one very good chainsaw. I'm on to my second. Got a bigger one. Hopefully it can last longer. And I was, t- 
I was telling some people before, I don't know whether I should have my chainsaw surgically removed from my hand because I'm hanging on to it so much or whether I should have it attached. But when you're living somewhere where it gets down at about minus seven, minus eight in the evenings in winter and you're living in a shed that's uninsulated, you can go through the wood. I'm talking about an eight foot by six foot tray on my ute stacked high in two weeks. No one can burn wood like my wife. <laughs> thankfully, we've got 100 acres of trees and a lot of them on the ground. But, but it comes with challenges. Like It's a very wet area. And I've got trees that I know that have been on the ground for 10 years and I cut, cut them and they're still green. It just doesn't dry out there. Whereas at a previous location, I could cut a green tree, just cut it in logs, and just before I went to use it, I would split it and it'd be dry. I have to split wood and wait five or six years before I can use it, like when it's really, you know, really nicely seasoned. So I have a huge stack of wood, like years and years and years worth. But it's not all usable now. I say to a vet, do you have to burn so much? So I go inside the house and I'm always turning, I'm turning down the, you know, the vent, you know. Like, there's nothing in the oven, there's nothing on top of the stove, it's not that. And you've got windows open, I'm thinking, thinking for crying out loud, like, you're killing me, you know. But, and, it's, and when my boy leaves home, it's going to be harder. Now, now, he doesn't use a chainsaw yet, he wants to, but I, I don't kind of let him yet, but he's been splitting wood from the age of four, and he's really good, and he likes it. And um, it's eight naturals, you know. I mean, you're outside, you're getting exercise, it makes him thirsty and hungry, and he's, he's as strong as an ox, you know. He's built like me, and he's beating me in arm wrestles now. Well, he's not quite my size yet, but he's my height, but... So it is, ha- it is helpful. It's going to be more of a challenge when it's just the two of us, I think, but... The chainsaw... I can't say I love it, but it's the tool I use the most, and it's a necessity. It's a necessity. You know, children leaving home is going to be a challenge for us. Um, you know, how Maybe you we could adopt. Maybe we could adopt some. Good plan. How, how can you do without Josiah to split your wood? And how can I do without Hannah and Ella to pick my beans? I went home this morning to pick my beans. It took me hours. They're just so fast. I just really appreciate that. I really appreciate that. Jeffrey, would you be willing to share with us where you're shifting to in two weeks with your family and maybe a f- couple of reasons why you chose that location? Uh, thanks, Rod. Um, so currently we live in Brisbane. Um, we are moving to Tyalgum in North New South Wales. So it's a long story, but um, I think we believe that God is really calling us to, to move uh, from the city. I'm a city family. We are a city boy from Jakarta, Singapore, Malaysia, and, and Brisbane. It's totally new, but we just move out of faith. 
um, to, an to answer your questions, um, how uh, we actually, um, because we are new in Australia, so, so we, uh, we, we said, God, we don't know where to go. Where do you want us to move? And we keep on um, reading the Bible and fasting almost every Sabbath on where God wants us to move, whether going back to Indonesia or, or in Australia. So almost two months, every Sunday, almost every night, we are looking into property to sell. So we've been up to Gimpy North, been to uh, Maleni, we've been to um, Toowoomba and Buna and Kyogle, and actually the first place that we visited is uh, Tayalgum, and that's the last place that we finally found the property is, is in Tayalgum. So the last two months is, I think God is leading us into, into the right place um, where we believe that's the place that he wants us to, to be. The property is uh, 14 acres. 14 acres, um, uh, there is a, a cottage, um, two bedroom uh, house um, with uh, a big shed. So one of the criteria that I'm looking for at that time is, uh, is hopefully there is a, a fruit trees. Um, and there are, there are 40 uh, fruit trees. Um, and the good thing about um, that property is, after we find more about the property is, there are chuck place already prepared, garden bed already ready to, to plant, actually two chuck, chuck place. And there are a small dam that's already, already there. And um, we found out that uh, the water never runs dry. In the last six months, there was no rain around here. And it's, it, the, rain, the water is, is still there. So, yeah, we, we're blessed with, with, with the gift. And um, are you going to continue in your current employment when you shift down there? Yeah? So that's the third. Um, so this year is a big milestone, actually, for, for our family. Uh, we sold the house. We want to live uh, in simple life. I've been living almost 10 years as an expatriate in different countries, so we get a lot of luxury life. We get a, a, good, a good pay. Um, so I work in oil and gas company as a senior in finance. Um, but uh, when we pray and pray, we led to the country life, but also during that period, we said, God, what do you want us to do after we move to the country life? So to make the story short, I left the job um, after 20 years of working in this company. And all of the people in, in, the, in, in the company said that, what, are you, what did you do? Are you, are you doing the right things? Um, and even the family also asking, why do you have to, to leave uh, such a good such a, such a good job, and then to live somewhere that you don't know. But um, I think, yeah, he will. He, he knows where, where we are going to do next. And Justin, um, you live a long way from the city. Um, 
What's your circumstance with work? Yeah, you just have to raise that, didn't you? Well, the idea when we moved, when we moved was I would work, continue working in Sydney. Uh, I work as a, a, as a gardener in Sydney's North Shore. For two years, we would do that. And in that time, we would have bought uh, country property and we would have been able to work out our budget. Like, for example, did the house need some improvements done? And, and work out that budget and, uh, and, and then find work locally. I, I work one week on, one week off, and I earn more money on that one week on in Sydney than I would working full-time down at home. But obviously the idea is to be home so I can come home every night. I miss not coming home every night. You know, I'm away Sunday afternoon through to Friday evening, and then I get the next week off. I'm only 520 kilometres. It's a six-hour drive. Leaving Sydney on a Friday afternoon, it can get to a seven, seven and a half hour drive just trying to get out. I'm not the only person who wants to drive out of Sydney on a Friday afternoon and the traffic is horrendous. So that's a big challenge for me. It's a big challenge for Yvette. And when I'm in Sydney, I'm in a house. And Yvette's back home in a shed. And when I'm in Sydney, I disconnect. How I, how I cope is I disconnect from the family somewhat and I disconnect from the building the house. I hate having to come to Sydney and work, and I have to ring the chippy, or I have to ring the sparky. I, I, just, I, I do it, but I hate, I try and do it all the time when I'm home, and then when I'm in Sydney, I just, it's just work. So I work 7 a.m. till dark, so this time of year I'm working 7, till 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. I just don't have the energy, that, and I get a little bit depressed as well, you know, so. It's challenging, it's, um, I, but I do see my children um, more often now than when I used to have to commute an hour from where we used to live into work. So I used to have to sometimes commute like two hours into um, the eastern suburbs of Sydney, so I had to scrap those clients and then move them a bit closer. But I actually, they see more of me now than before. It's just, you know, going home and you sort of, going home, to, when I'm in Sydney, going to that home, um, which I just rent a room, and um, eating by yourself at night. Um, you know, you've got your phone, you're you know, reading the Bible, or you're reading the news while you're eating, there's no one to talk to. And, so then, and, and working by myself and for myself, and like I don't even see customers half the time. They're big properties, they're busy people. So I just invoice them through, you know, through email, and they just direct deposit my money. So I can go a week not even talking to anyone except the odd phone call to Yvette. Now I hate talking on phones. You do. <laughs> I do. And my wife wants to talk to me, and I'm, I, I ring her, say, oh, don't forget to water the tomatoes, and don't forget to do this, don't forget to do that. And she wants a bit more of an in-depth, more lovey-dovey sort of conversation that wives want. And you indulge it, don't you? And I don't. <laughs> so I, I come home, you know, looking for a cuddle and I'm lucky to get to sleep in the same bed as her, you know. <laughs> so I've got to take a couple of days to sort of smooth the waters. So that's a challenge more for Yvette, I suppose. And, and she has to become 
the, she, the head of the house. She's a spiritual leader. She's got to lead out in the morning worship, evening worship, and it's not her role. And all I have to do is worry about me. Then I come home, then I have to sort of fit in. And as our family timetable changes. I come home, so I'm kind of on holidays now. <laughs> I mean, I work seven till dark. I'm tired. I don't come good until about Tuesday. And then I've got that six-hour travel both ways, and I try and sleep along the way, but it's a little dangerous. <laughs> like, I'm, I have micro-sleeps, you know. <laughs> it's a little dangerous for me and my fellow commuters. No, I'm serious. I can sleep about ten times on the way home, but I wake up quick. No, I'm serious. And um, and before I had a dual cab, I could pull over and have a sleep and put the seat right back. Well, that got uncomfortable. I could jump in the back. Now I've got a single cab ute. The seat doesn't go in your back. You try sleeping like this, with your head against the window. Uh, sometimes I've slept with my head like that on the centre console. But you only sleep for... But other times I just try once when I go home. And oh, that's my battle with micro-sleeps. And, and it worries you a bit. And um, I have church members praying for me because I've told them. They said, you're joking, aren't you? I said, no, I've probably had 300, 400 micro-sleeps going back the last 10 years. I said, man, you're a madman. Yeah, so I, I, yeah, it's not, it's not a perfect world, man. We're just doing the best we can, you know. I wanted to ask you that question because of what we said before, and, and that is that... Give that here to me for a minute. You realise that was an embarrassing question for me. Did I talk to you, Mark, about that in the idea? No, it's embarrassing. You know, it really is, because it's not... I'm teaching country living and I'm in the country three quarters of the time and a quarter of the time I'm in Sydney. But the kids are experiencing country living. They call me a uh, city slicker too, by the way, you know. <laughs> I think they might be right. Um, now, why I asked you that question was because I think it perfectly illustrates that we need to know that God is leading us. Family, church members, the devil, they're all telling you you're mad. And there's probably some grounds <laughs> for, for, for them saying that in, in, in that context. But we need to know. And that's, I, I don't know what keeps you going, but I, I think that's a powerful thing that keeps you going. You know you're doing right in spite of the struggles and in spite of how difficult it is. God can work through people who who make mistakes. Uh, I'm going to long to have an interview with Jesus while I wait in line for the millions of other people who want to get there before me and ask him the question, you know, where did we go wrong? Did we go wrong? And um, like, like the Israelites, they wanted a king. And Jesus said, you're not going to have a king, but we want a king. You know, you're not to have a king, but we want a king. All right, have the king and reap the consequences. So I kind of wonder, you know, you said you've got to know that the Lord's leading. Well, it's not like we moved to the, from the country to the city and we know from council that's the wrong thing. So you're going to beat yourself up about it, aren't you? It's not working out. And, but 
I'm sure we've made mistakes, you know. But God will work, work through that and bring us back around in the end. So we're just looking forward to the next instalment. Got to finish the house. Should have it. Country living, I tell you, it's hard to get tradesmen and forget getting a good one because you can't get them. In a small town, they are rough as guts. And I'm a perfectionist. And, um, and expensive. And we've been waiting three months for a guy to do some work for us so we can go on to the next stage. It's holding everything up. Like, we could have it finished by March, but I'm not sure. And then from there, then... I, I like to have set little goals. Like, people say, oh, how do you... How, how do you build a house? Like, I had no idea how to build a house. I never wanted to build a house. I've never been a, someone who did anything in tradesmen in regards to building a house. But I just say, it's like, it's like eating a horse. It's just one mouthful at a time. And you just look at the next mouthful and eventually you'll consume the horse. I'm not advocating horse eating, okay? But, but how do you build a house? You, you clear the land. You know, you have your soil testing done. You, you dig your footings. And it's just one step. So that's our next step, and then once that's done, then and that's, that's all I've done. And so with work, I'm thinking, no, just finish the house, and then we'll go from there. What, what, what do you want to, you know, in regards to my work, in regards to our budget, do I find local work? Or we're, tr- we're, we're praying about actually trying to start a business together. We want to do some work that's together. And uh, Yvette's come up with something, and I said, no way. <laughs> and don't ask me what it was, please. <laughs> no promises. Okay, I'll say it then. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a gardener, right? And if you're going to be in... The, see, horticulture and agriculture is not a high-paying job, right? So when you, if you're going to be a gardener, you've got to work for wealthy people, do a, the, the perfect job, something of a lot of skill level and charge a lot of money. Now, <laughs> so, so, um, so gardening is probably, horticulture is probably one of the lowest paid jobs along with cleaners. <laughs> so, so my wife said, why don't we work locally and I, we can do the, I can do the gardening and she could do the cleaning or she works with me if they're gardening and I help her the cleaning. And we're talking about as we're driving and this beaten up old van drives past with something cleaning <laughs> services. And I said, do you want to be driving something like that? That's about to break down. A wheel's about to fall off that. <laughs> okay, maybe. I said, you chose it like the two most lowest paid jobs. I don't know if I really want to do that. And gardening, right, uh, we're outside of a town called Tumbarumba, right? It's freezing cold and really wet in winter. Nothing grows. Nothing grows until about October, and it stops about December because it's so dry. Nothing grows. So you're going to be gardening October, November, December. And, and cleaning their houses. Half the houses in the place are sort of falling down anyway. Like, I mean, it's not going to be a... I'm not after a lucrative career, but I don't want to be working my guts out for nothing either. So we're, we're trying to find something a little bit more worthwhile, perhaps. 
I'm not that desperate yet. I, I really like Yvette's train of thought, though. You know, something local, something together, using our skills that we've developed over lifetimes. You know, that just makes complete sense. But that's all right. We need to look at things critically and weigh them up, do our due diligence. So I'm glad you've done that. Yeah. <laughs> can, can I make a big jump now from Tumbarumba to somewhere even colder? Jana, you grew up in rural Germany and you now live in suburban Australia. And... I know there's been a few twists and turns in that, that journey, but could you maybe just share with us why, before we started this conversation, you felt that you are languishing at the moment in suburban Brisbane? I guess um, both my husband and I, growing up in a rural area, loving it, having wonderful childhood memories, and yes, we had tough times as well, but it's as we discussed this morning, the blessings are bigger than the challenges. And um, we've been working in Austrian and Health Institute prior to getting married, and we got married there, and when we decided, well, we'll settle down in Australia, we moved back to Brisbane, where Ben used to do his um, traineeship as a carpenter. And first of all, we went straight back into the middle of Brisbane and after two weeks, I'm like, sorry, honey, but I just, I can't do it. <laughs> I open the tap and I can smell the chlorine. I open the window, I hear the cars buzzing by. I've got to make sure no one's breaking into the house. So we are, yeah, more on the outskirts now. But we definitely do feel that we're not designed or created for that kind of lifestyle. And we notice every time we drive further out this is where we're meant to be this is how God created us to be surrounded by nature we can tell how that comfy cozy and yeah so to speak lifestyle in the city it's creeping in and we don't want that we really don't and we know it's not where we're meant to be but we've got to make the most of where we are right now we've got a little garden and background that does give us that bit of a taste of what it's supposed to be like we have tried several times moving out into the country, had serious looks at properties, but so far every time we prayed seriously about it, God's very um, yeah, clearly shut the doors on us so far. At times it's frustrated us, but we know that we've got a place where God wants us to do his work right now. We've got to do it faithfully until he shows us the next step. And I'm very encouraged by hearing now how everyone sharing their story to see God's leading. Because sometimes I wonder, are we making it too complicated that we pray too much about this stress, not stressing, but take, trying to take all things into consideration instead of just seizing an opportunity that might arise rather than yeah, waiting and praying and listening to God, what, ha what God has to tell, but listening to what you've been sharing now actually encourages me to just keep trusting that God knows that he is in control and when the time is right, he will open the way because I know that's his plan. So one day. <laughs> um, Jessica, you've lived in the country um, 
as you describe, as long as you can remember. Can you just describe where you live and what it's like for a young person to live in the, in the bush, well, in the country, f- from your perspective? <coughs> so, um, our closest town is only 16 k's away, but it's not really a town. <laughs> it has a pub and a post office and not much else operational. So, um, we've lived there for 16 years, so that's what I remember the most, like the place we've lived most. And I guess for me, because that's all I've known, um, yeah, it's just normal to me. Um, so, like for example, earlier when people were saying about having to plan ahead for the shopping and that, I have no concept of ducking down to the shop. So, <laughs> it's just like, that's so normal to me, and it's just like, oh, I need something, or oh, that we'll just have to wait till next week, you know, when we're in town. Um, but yeah, I really appreciate the, just the slowness of life. Like, now I go into Canberra, it's our closest city, um, one day a fortnight, and it's just, every time I get home from that, I, it's just like, um, so refreshing because it's not noisy. Um, there's just might be an occasional car go down the road, but you know, it's not busy, it's quiet, or there's only like nature sounds. Um, and also, I really like that um, it's much more private. <laughs> I'm not used to being in town where your neighbours hear everything. Um, so, I really appreciate that as well, and I wouldn't want it any other way. I appreciate you talking about the, the sounds, the different sounds, city to country. Um, life in the city, oh, have mercy. I can only imagine what life in Singapore is like. The people concentrated, you know, hundreds of people living in the same building, um, to the point so congested, or so many people in one place that very few people own their own vehicles. Is it still that case? Yeah. I, I remember a friend that shifted from Singapore to Australia a while ago told me that you had to actually have permission from the government to own a vehicle, to own a car. Whereas in Australia, I mean, if you haven't got three or four, you know, you're really poor. And we've got to travel long distances. You know, it's, n- it's nothing when you live in the, s- in the country to hop in the car and, and drive five or six hours. You know, if you drive five or six hours in Singapore, you're the other end of Malaysia, I guess, if you could get across the strait. But the noise. You know, when I first met Desley, um, she was very noisy. <laughs> in a very sweet way. Yeah, of course. Uh, okay. Uh, she was very uncomfortable with silence. Okay, and go and visit her in her house in Goulburn, for argument's sake, where she was a teacher. And... Um, she'd walk into the house and turn the radio on. And it'd go on, it would be on until she either went to sleep or she went back out and she'd turn it off again. And that just drove me crazy because like Jessica, I was used to the sounds of nature and silence was just normal except for a magpie or a kookaburra in the background. So, Des, do you want to talk about that a little bit? I'm not sure what there is to talk about, really. Um, I don't know why I was like that. I was the youngest of a family of five, and we were not a quiet family, so maybe I just needed that noise to make me feel at home. 
I was living by myself. It was probably just my company, the habit that I get into. You know, you kind of just get into the habit of having something. Um, I think I'm still the same because the other morning I woke up here and it was four o'clock and I just listened and I couldn't hear any chooks. I couldn't hear, you know, the, the noises of our property. I couldn't hear them and I was like, wow, it's too quiet. I needed the, needed the sounds of our property. And Jeffrey, I was very pleased to hear you call them chooks. <laughs> very Australian. <laughs> um, yes, I think it's just what you get used to. It is, but um, I think because of how God created us, most people pretty quickly get used to the sounds of nature. I think somehow we're, we're hankering for it. And even though we're used... I, I remember... I guess this is kind of off traffic. I went to stay with my sister once at Green Point on the Brisbane water, you know, on the central coast there. And she lived up above the, the water and I was there on a Friday night and I just listened to sirens all night. Police and ambulance. And I guess the water was, uh, the, the, the sound was coming across the water from multiple. And I just thought, man, I, this is terrible. But one thing that I'm conscious of, um, and it's become really apparent to me as I've witnessed people making the transition from the city to the country, and that is that we often take the city with us. And so we seem to have this sort of an ideal of a lifestyle, and that varies from person to person, but often there are elements of city life that we can't do without, that we need to take with us. Um, if, if yeah, well, it, it's one, it's one thing to get the man out of the out of the out of the city. It's another thing to get the city out of the man. And with me, it's one week on, one week off. The country, uh, as busy as we are, is a slower pace. It's a, a calm, it's, it's more calming influence. But there's times. I'll give you an example. Yvette and I, like, we go into town once a, once a week. And so we do multiple things. One trip was go to the tip. And so there was at the tip, a guy stops you and gives you, you know, if it's, it's only recycling, but it, it's free, and it, and they get, but he has to give you a receipt. But, but he doesn't always give you a receipt. Sometimes he just he waves you on. So I'm pulling up, and there's a, there's a different guy on, and he's having a chin wag to the car in front. Now all I want to do is drop off two bags of recycling and I want to get going, I want to do this, this, this and I want to get back home. So I've got the city in me going, I'll go this, this, bang, bang, bang. And the country, it's like, what's your hurry, man, you know? And so I, I'm waiting and this car's not... He's, he's just, he, he, the guy working there sees me there and he just keeps talking. So I look at it and so I drive up next to him, put the window down and say, mate, I just want to get rid of this... Uh, Recycling, you mind if I just go over there? He said, No, I've got to give you a receipt. And as we're driving, I thought that was not unreasonable of me. That bloke, I'm, I'm his customer and he's letting me wait. And there was nothing wrong with what I did. So I'm driving and the vet chastises me and says, That was very rude. <laughs> so it's like the city, it's a rush. And sometimes I might overtake someone because they're... Like, you can be driving to, from our place 
into town, it's like 100 kilometres country road. 100 kilometres an, an hour. It's 23 kilometres away. It's 100 kilometres an hour speed limit. There's only a few places you can pass, but sometimes some old cocky will pull up, got his big hat on, in his cruiser, a uh, ute or something, with <laughs> a kelpie on the back thing, yeah, yeah, or two, and he sees me coming and he still pulls out, and he's, I'm doing 100 and he's doing 40. <laughs> and it's his road. So I just sort of put the foot down and go around him and, say, and sort of say to people in the car, hey, don't you know I'm from the city? <laughs> don't slow me up. So it, it definitely... It definitely is a challenge to get the city out of the person. And I think one thing we, we need to highlight, and I did have shared this in another forum, but I think it's worth saying again with um, modern technology, you can be at the back of absolutely nowhere. If you've got a satellite dish, you can have the worst of anything in front of your eyes. Doesn't matter if the nearest neighbour's a thousand kilometres away, you got just vileness right there. And um, if you've got children doing distant education through internet, you've got to police what they're onto because it doesn't take m many key words to get onto rubbish. And the, the evilness of it. So you can have, you can be living in the country and have the city in the home. Not, not uh, city here, but city literally in the home as well. Yeah, key point. This really, and this touches every aspect of our lives. Um, I was thinking about uh, statistics in Australia of mental health. And uh, I was really shocked, you know, because I've got this idea how, how good living in the country is for the mind and how we think. And we know it is, but when you look at the statistics... There's not much difference. And we actually have more people committing suicide in the country than we do in the city. Are you aware that Ellen White tells us to get out of the cities because of the suicide rate in the city in her day? Now we had the suicide rate multiple times higher in the country. And I believe there's all sorts of factors that lead into that. But I, and go beyond mental health to physical health as well. We can be, like you say, we can be in the country thinking like a city person. We can be farming. We can be involved in agriculture. And we're in an air-conditioned tractor. The GPS is basically driving it. And we're sitting watching the TV in the tractor. We do next to no physical labour. We're in air conditioning as we go around our paddocks. But you know... You know, Rod, it can be even worse than that. You can be on an old Matthew Ferguson, it's not even the Rops over you or anything, and have the city in your head. Because farming is a business. It's a business. And what drives the city? It's money. And if you're not making money, you're not in business. So you can be farming and forefront of your mind is making money. Well, that's city. You, you, you need to eat, you need to earn the money, but is that the driving force? Yeah, gardening and cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think it's time we give you know, opportunity for some questions. Has anyone got any questions? That are Justin, you've got a question? No, no. I, I, I don't, I, 
just want to comment on Desley's very rude remark about me. <laughs> Some of us have our battles. All right, that's what I just want to say. <laughs> we have our battles. Um, as a gardener, I could have chosen a lot of other things, but I, I like the outdoors. I, I'd like to be left alone. And I, I don't need a lot of money, but I don't like... I, I'll be frank, I don't like being poor. I'm not poor, but I don't want to be any poorer than I am. I mean, we struggle, but we, Yvette's very good at budgeting, and um, our needs are met. You know, we, we give the Lord his 10%, his offerings, often give more offerings than we think we can afford, and, but we can always pay our bills. But I do have my struggles in I don't want to be any... I don't want my wage going any lower than it already is. I'm already... I went to the bank for, for a little bit of a loan, and he just laughed me out of his office. He said, mate, you're on the bread line. He said, I know you work for yourself and you write off a lot of equipment and, and, and gear, so my turnover is a lot higher than what you know, I, I show. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah he's, he, he ridicules me about how poor I was. He's thinking, what are you doing in here wanting money? You're too poor. Yeah, I know. I wanted to borrow eighty thousand dollars, and if I had eighty thousand dollars in in shares or something, I could have borrowed the money. I said, if I had eighty thousand dollars in shares, I would have sold the shares, and I wouldn't be coming to you. But that's how the city works. So yeah, I have my struggles with the with the money thing. I don't want to be a a gardener in Tumbarumba or a cleaner. No disrespect for cleaners. Or gardeners on one. Do we have any questions ready to go? Um, just with this whole country living thing and everything, like obviously I believe it's the right thing because I've done it myself as well. But um, how would you answer a question like we're meant to be, you know, in especially the end times, you know, reaching out to people? Um, Saving the lost, seeking the lost. Um, I guess it's, yeah, how do we do that when we're secluding ourselves on our country properties and doing our own thing and just trying to struggle with the how to survive, how to earn money, all that sort of stuff? How can we focus on other people as well? We're told to go to the byways and the highways. There's still 1,200 people living around me that need the Lord, you know, about the Lord. There's a difference between country living, maybe even wilderness living, and being a monk or being a hermit. We're not called to do, to, to do that. Firstly, the mission field is our families, and then it just spreads to our next door neighbours and so forth. Country living doesn't mean you've got to be, you know, hundreds of kilometres away from a big city. Uh, Ellen White often talks about just outside the cities, and the only thing our church should own in the city is. Church, only thing, the only thing our church should own is churches in the city and we should move we should drive into the city on Sabbath and have our churches well you can't I can't do that to Sydney you can't do that to Sydney or Brisbane so some people may just be just out on, on five acres or something you can buy you know, private small property like that and, and still grow all your own food does that answer, answer the question? I have a question if that question was answered. But. There's another aspect of that. Um, you know, I'm just thinking of a, of a quote 
the cities are to be worked, but not by us living in them. I, th- I think I'm pretty well verbatim there. But we'd, we'd live in the country and then do missionary tours back into the city. I, I believe that's the ideal situation. Um, You've got to allow God to call you where, tell you where you are to go. And he opens and shuts doors. We didn't want to be where we are. But God shut doors and directed us to, to where we are now. There's plenty of people outside of Sydney to, who, can, who can work Sydney and, and Brisbane and so forth, but you guys are like a war hope. I mean, you've, got, you've still got a mission field. Yeah, and I think that brings up a really important point as well. Um, we need to all individually rely on God for our guidance. And he doesn't ask any two people or two families to do the same thing, I don't believe. And it'll be different times for different people. Uh, I think our challenge, the challenge for us is to be open to his leading. Okay, and lay our lives, lay our homes, lay our families on the altar and just say, Lord, uh, direct me, you know. Um, tell me when it's time, you know, by, by, your, by your counsel, by your providences, um, by the Holy Spirit, explain to me when, when it's time to go. And meanwhile, wherever we are, we can be missionaries and we can be active in our communities, sharing our faith, being loving and lovable Christians, whatever God calls us to be um, in there. And I, I, I just want to share that because the council is clear, you know, out of the cities, out of the cities, you know, time and time again, she says, out of the cities, get out of the cities, into the villages and then into the country etc etc but we need to be really careful that we're not pushing people you know share the information share our experience but we need to leave each family's experience between them and the lord so no pressure so you have a question justin i just wanted to add to what you just said yeah in in, um, i'm not sure where the quote was from it's in country living and she says that um, not to push people to let the Lord lead she talks about not doing it the word haste you know, haste. but then she says don't be like Lot as well, don't loiter she says don't loiter so there's a, somewhere between rushing and not doing anything is where they're supposed to be where, where we're all supposed to be um, now, I, oh, my, my question was to the young people Jessica and Shanna in regards to work, um, I'm not sure how to word it, Rod. Um, in the country, there's less work. It provides opportunities to maybe have your own business, work for yourself, which is absolute ideal, particularly when our, our rights and privileges are slowly eroding, and let alone you know, the Sunday laws. But there's less opportunity for that. And I was just wondering how the young people felt about it's less opportunity growing up in the country. Less opportunity for higher education. I mean, you've got to. I mean, like for example, Jessica would have to go to Canberra maybe to to uni. That would be the closest place. And the struggles with that, or less opportunities for work. It's a really good question because in Australia, and I think probably most Western nations, um, the migration of the young people is from the country to the city. You know, they get to 16 and 70 years old, and they're off, either to to uni or to work, looking for those opportunities you're talking about. Any thoughts, ladies? 
Um, well, I guess the really good thing about this day and age is that there's a lot of distance education. So for me, I'm studying. I do it all from home. Um, I have practical stuff. I do it through a video call kind of thing. So, um, yeah, there's lots of opportunities. It's not like study is off limits. still definitely possible. Um, and the other thing about working is, I guess I'll just share the story of my brother. Um, because last, early last year, he decided he needed the regular work. And, um, yeah, so he just made a flyer and said, this is his name, contact details, interested in doing, like, farmhand-type work, um, yard work, lawn mowing. Um, yeah, just made himself available. And through that, he he's basically got full-time work. He started off... Um, he works on a farm down the road, so doing um, yeah, farm work, sheep work, fencing, all that kind of stuff. And that's regular. And then through that contact, another guy who came and worked there, then he started working for him as well. So that's also local. That's like gardening, landscaping work. And um, yeah, he's just... Then, you know, that guy's brother also has a farm, so he goes over helping with shearing, other work, landmarking, everything. So it's just like... He just took that one step of initiative and God provided all these opportunities um, just through word of mouth, I guess. And that's the other th thing about living in the country. It's much more community-based. So if you work for someone, you do a good job, they're going to tell their, their neighbours. Everyone's going to know. Like, sometimes it's not such a good thing, but, um, yeah. And so through that, I think you almost have more opportunities than in the city because... It's, there's not that kind of community, um, that community thing. And yeah, that, I think also the other thing comes back to faith. In It was actually really amazing. Every time Luke was feeling like, I need some more work, he'd pray about it. And he'd just get a call from someone, you know, I found your flyer or I heard about you from so-and-so. Can you do this for me? And even mum was praying for him, like particularly one time and yep he gets another call and it's just like so re repeated and I think that's what it comes down to we just have to know that we're doing what God wants us to do and he'll provide those needs for us but the other aspect of that with Luke is that he's been doing a man's work for a long time so even as though he's a young man he's got all those practical skills you know and so he's he is useful to those people that he's working. You know, he's, he's, he's not a skinny little wimpy kid that doesn't know up from down um, because he's had that practical education. Yeah. yeah, the meeting just before lunch, we were just talking about that actually, um, entrepreneurs and um, how that all works. And um, it is hard to find work and um, I've... Over the last year, the times I've been at home because I go away a lot, I've been praying for work and looking for work and applying for work and not getting any work. And um, I believe that God leads in that as well because I guess I just wanted a normal job and just do something normal. But um, God's brought other things to me instead, like I've been able to do some busking in town and get a little bit from that. I've been able to have a few violin students. People actually come and ask me, can you teach teach me instead of me looking out for people? Like I could easily put flies out and get more students, but I, and I've been asked by people in the community to do it and I haven't got around to it. I'm just too busy for it. Um, like there are opportunities that come up. It's not going to be the conventional way though. And um, 
that's good <laughs> because if you're thinking outside the box and oh, what can I do like even my sister she has bees she makes money with her honey with her wax with almost everything she touches she turns to money my brother's the same he has um, a firewood business he sells firewood to random people people dad's work he puts flyers up and they just buy trailloads of wood like hours like at least an hour north and south of us people are buying wood from us and um, dad just drops it off on his way to work or his way home from work and like God does open the doors to find work yeah and study like distance education I'm doing the same course as Jess but yeah it's it is really a faith thing and I've been like I just want a normal job I don't want to have to go around this doing this outside the box thing but no it's been really beneficial and God's really blessed even though it's not I guess what some people might want okay any more questions Thank you. Maybe a question for the parents and even the young adults. Socialising-wise, being in the country, um, homeschooling and so forth, do you all live close to each other? Do you have other like-minded families in the area or a church that's really buzzing or active? Or how do you find the right balance there? Or do the kids feel like, my family is my social life and I'm super content and happy with that? Because I often get that question, oh, you're sure you want to move out into the country and you want to do homeschooling? Your poor girls, what are they going <laughs> to, what kind of life are they going to have? So I thought it might be a good idea to ask someone who's got first hand experience. Um, just a quote, I think the one that um, we heard, I don't know what meeting it was, one of the meetings earlier on, one of the main meetings, talking about children having a simple, quiet life. And um, we moved into an area where there's lots of Adventist families and it's really great. We um, enjoy having them around, but mum has also been very careful of we need our own family time. We can't just be socialising with people all the time. She, she enjoys it when we can spend a whole week at home and just do our schoolwork, do our normal daily life and not have to be distracted by everything else happening. And yeah, it is good. Sometimes it's really helpful to have um, that social support as well. But um, I guess in our family we've really appreciated being able to have that family time as well. So we have sort of a mix of both, but especially when I was younger, it was a lot more without people. Now my younger siblings have a lot more people at the same age that I was when without as many people. So yeah, I guess how God leads and that is different as well for every person. But yeah, just quiet, simple life is, is good. So it's not going to be a negative thing. I think if you want to raise your kids in the Lord and do the homeschooling stuff, it's a lot better if you are in the country because like we, uh, well, Lightning Ridge is out, out back, but the population still around 7,000 people and I was at one point the only child being homeschooled, so I was really isolated in a big amount of people. So it was just me and then everybody else, where if you're in the country, at least it's, there's not all these other people doing something completely different. And so uh, when I became a teenager, I went back to high school in grade 10 and then I, um, I just dove back into the world and it was a long journey to find myself back. Yeah. So I think that sometimes a bit of isolation away from adversary is really good. Yeah. And that's definitely what saved me as well. <laughs> 
So I, I find that really interesting what you said, Rena. Um, you felt isolated in a large group of people because you were doing something different. Yeah, I can, I can relate to that. Um, that'd be really hard for you as a young person. Yeah. Um, so there you go. Isolation can be a real blessing, but it can also be a challenge, can't it? Yeah. Um, children go through different stages. Um, the ideal scenario for the young children is to have isolation. They don't need anyone else. Their mum and their dad are their world, and that's how it's meant to be. Um, all too soon in society, our children are weaned from their parents and from the influence of family by school because once a child goes to school, the parent is no longer the major influence in their life and uh, we lose a lot of ground in that way. But I've found with my children, um, I have six, so <laughs> they're over-socialised with each other alone. Um, and every child is so different. I have one that is a homebody. She doesn't want to go anywhere. In fact, at this camp, you'll have rarely seen her because she'll be sitting in our cabin doing her schoolwork. She's very happy to be alone. And when she's not alone, she'll have one friend that she'll hang out with. I have another that is so gregarious and outgoing that she just cannot be kept quiet. She thrives on people and talking. And, um, and we as parents, I think, need to be aware of our children's needs. I have another child who is quite a, a fairly quiet child and I didn't realise until very recently that he was in his teenage years craving for friendship. He hasn't had a friend at church his age. He hasn't had a friend in our area too much around his same age. Um, now he has. And, but, yeah, he's, because of that, he has craved a friendship and he's found it in some people in our community in the world. That concerns me. Uh, so we need to be... And, and, you know, some of our children, we can read them like a book. We know what they're thinking. We know what they like. We know where they're at. Others of our children are hard to read. We don't know. And, and this particular boy, I didn't know. And if I had known, I don't know what I could have done. I could have prayed at least um, about that particular thing. So different stages of life, they need different things. Um, but certainly I, I don't think living in the country isolates them at all. We know that we know that what a child needs is mature adult influence, not peer influence. Uh, peer influence will not elevate their characters, but adult influence will. It'll improve their communication skills. It will give them life experience. It will just help them in all sorts of social aspects in life. Whereas peer friendship is good in short doses. It's really good for them to have that learning, that interaction. Um, but yeah, it won't have the blessing on the character that adult interaction will have. Um, I was also going to add that <coughs> socialisation doesn't have to be in person. Like obviously that's what we think of and it's still an integral part, but um, I've never had people my own age live like next door neighbours, like walking distance away, like even they see every week. And yet I have a lot of friends, a lot of close friends, 
and people I've been friends with for years. And so I guess it's just thinking outside the box again, you know, um, I've been writing letters since I was seven or eight, something like that, you know. So it's, you can still have socialisation um, through other ways and, um, yeah, have friends without necessarily living close to other people. And the other thing I was just, like, a personal experience from our family, we, yeah, that was our situation. And, like, a few years ago, probably, I don't know, I guess eight years ago or something, I, I guess I resented it quite a bit that, you know, we didn't have any friends around. It seems like it was the normal thing that you have friends your own age that you see, like, really often. And so I was, like, deprived. <laughs> um, but... Over time, like looking back now, I can see that that was really the best thing because, yeah, our family is so much closer together and also our relationship with God. Like in that situation where church is not, you know, church is about God because that's all you have. You know, you're not worshipping, or sometimes worshipping alone and things like that. So it doesn't become a social thing. So for me, I know that if if that was the case, I probably would have you know, going to church to see friends, right? Whereas if friends aren't there, then it comes down to God. And when that's all you're left with, um, that relationship really strengthens. I'm really thankful for that. Um, That, yeah, God really used that to strengthen our family relationship and also our relationship with him. Any more questions? So what is the key advice from you for a family who is going to transition to, to the country based on your experience? That's a big question, Rod. I thought you were going to answer it. You've got the microphone. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> he, uh, he directed the question to you. <laughs> That's passing the buck. Advice to a family shifting to the... Okay, I'd like to give you some advice from a husband's perspective. Do everything you possibly can to make the transition as smooth as possible for your queen. As we've shared our experience, it's sometimes very difficult and our ladies have lived in very difficult circumstances for a long time. You know, it took me three, three and a half years to build the house we live in at the moment. And it, it got to the point where our temporary situation was so difficult. You know, it was really affecting Desley. Um, under a lot of pressure, you know, affecting her mental health. Just, yeah. So it's our responsibility not to have everything perfect, but at least to have our queens knowing they have our hearts and that we're doing whatever we can to help them, to make it as easy as possible. (coughs) Um, Years ago, I was in Tennessee in the States doing some training, and uh, I was really busy, very busy, focused on my studies, and Desley and Caitlin, our eldest daughter, was, I think, three years old at the time, and we were living in this, what do they call it in America, trailer? We were living in this trailer, you know, and... uh, you know, it was pretty rough. Wasps. In <laughs> anyway, 
And I, I remember this elderly gentleman, um, you know, very southern, very black, not very many teeth, very white hair. What a champion. Brother Johnson, his name was. And he came to me one day and he says, boy, you need to spend more time with your wife. <laughs> and I, I said to him, yeah, I know, Brother Johnson, but, you know, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm come all the way from Australia. I'm here for three months. I, I've got to achieve. And he said, you didn't hear me, boy. You got to spend more time with your wife. And I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, Another excuse, you know, and he says, boy, if mama ain't happy, nobody ain't happy. <laughs> now, you go and spend time with your wife. And that's fantastic. Uh, for me, that was really fantastic. You know, have I, have I always kept that in the front of my mind, made it my highest priority? No, probably not. You know, my selfish heart, my misguided priorities maybe, you know. My wife hasn't always been happy. And I, I know I haven't always been able to do what I can to... But the thing is, as, as a couple, as a father and mother, we need to be looking out for each other and we need to be united on what it, as, as much as possible. doesn't mean we blend into being one person, okay? But we need to be one. Um, so that, because it's hard, it will be hard, we all face different privations and, and challenges and we need to be tight. And there'll be times when you aren't tight, when it just becomes too difficult for her. Um, and yeah, like Justin, you'll be out in the doghouse. You, know. <laughs> you mentioned it, man. Okay. Um, it'll be really difficult and the relationship will be strained. Okay. And it's our role to humble ourselves as the husbands and, and lead in that reconciliation and, and really think about what we can do to make the lot for our wife easier and if there's not much that we can do you know Justin struggling to build a house an appropriate dwelling for his queen for eight years okay he's put everything into it okay but but I know that Yvette will appreciate the fact that as difficult as it is for him that's what he's trying to do you know Justin used to live in Canada and he loves the skiing, the snow skiing in Canada. But he hasn't gone for a single trip to Canada while he's been building that house. Okay? That's the focus, that's the priority. Providing for his queen and his two children is the priority through all of the challenges and she will appreciate that. So that's one bit of advice I'd give you. Anyone else got? Yeah, Desley's got some advice <laughs> for Jeffrey. <laughs> I think it's already been said that the greatest challenges are our greatest blessings. When everything goes wrong, it's okay. Sooner or later, you won't look at it as everything going wrong. It may, nothing may have changed physically, but your mind will change. Um, sometimes you just have to stick with it. Um, we have to allow our children to go through hard times. As a parent, that's challenging. It's challenging not to provide for our children everything that they want or everything that society says they need. Um, but it's actually better for them if we don't. It's better for them to have to work hard. It's better for them to have to sacrifice and to make those struggles with us. Engage them in the struggles. Let them know that 
the reason why we can't do that or we're not doing that is, is this, and we believe it's best for us all. We're all making sacrifices together. Um, yeah, and, you know, I can look back, I, I can look back on my really hard times now and think what a blessing it was for me and my family. Um, you know, as Rod said, I, I really struggled mentally at the end of my four years in the accommodation we had. And I was at the point where I was saying, I'm moving out and you can come if you want to, but I'm going because I can't do this any longer. Um, and by God's grace, um, a miracle happened and we got to move into our house very quickly. But at that time when I was feeling like that, there was no light at the end of the tunnel for me. There has to be a light. There has to be a, a light at the end of the tunnel to keep you going. Um, and that light can be something really small, a goal that you're aiming for. But uh, there has to be something there that you're reaching for together. Um, yeah, and don't expect, don't expect it to be smooth. Don't expect, yes, we're following the Lord. We're doing country living. Life's going to be good now. No, life's going to be challenging now, more challenging than you've ever experienced. But, but you'll grow with those challenges and you'll become the people that God, well, by God's grace, we will all become the people God wants us to be. We're still, you know, we... We haven't made it. We still have our struggles. I still have my, my dummy spits. Um, by God's grace, he'll do the work in me. Another bit of advice that I'm coming to realise the significance of very late and sadly, in some senses, too late and that is in the busyness of trying to hold your head above water Make sure, make sure you take time to spend with your children. Not just in work. You know, I, I work for three or four hours in the garden each day with my three youngest children. Now, that's great, isn't it? I spend, I'm spending time with my kids. But they're not always there by their choice. Okay? That's part of their schooling. That's part of their life. It's not by choice that they're there. They'd rather be riding their horses or swimming in the dam. And so it's important for me as a father, and I've done this rarely to my shame, to put my work aside, which would gobble up 48 hours of the day, if that's where there was, to spend time with my kids. You know, Jack, my 11-year-old, it's shameful to even remember how many times he asked me to go for a swim in the dam with him last week. You know, we're busy with the garden. We're busy with preparing for the conference, etc. But he'd asked me three or four times a day, you know. I did it once. And I was there for ten minutes. But you know what? It meant the world to him. He didn't ask me for another couple of days. <laughs> so, spend time with your kids. Justin, any of that? Anything come to mind? Now that the conference, once the conference is over, are you going to go and have a day with your kids? Or a swim day? At the end of the conference is catch up. <laughs> Actually, at the end of the conference is catch up with the kids. I haven't hardly seen Rod here. Backwards and forwards. I've never seen Rod so busy. He probably has to catch up with the kids. And so the 
now you're going to have to sort of practice what you've just been preaching because you've got to catch up on the garden. But, but see, Jack was happy with 10 minutes in the, in the dam, say, every third day. And God is merciful. He's not asking for much. I haven't swung with Jack in the, Jack in the dam since last autumn. This was the first time. Don't yeah, but he asked you and you're too busy. And so you can bash yourself up because he asked you. But at least he did it once. And he did it for 10 minutes and he was happy for two, two days. And you know why he was happy with just 10, din- ten minutes? Because I strategi- strategically did it just before lunchtime. <laughs> so he was happy to run up to the house and, <laughs> and eat lunch together. <laughs> yeah, every, every sermon should have more of an impact on the preacher than the people sitting in the pews. And so, yeah, um, Rena, you, you, you're an instant good friend. You've really challenged me here. Here you are op- opening me up, to <laughs> bearing my soul. No, look. It's really interesting you ask that because um, I guess being a bit of a workaholic, I, I was back at the garden this morning picking beans and zucchinis and cucumbers and, and since last week my cucumbers have put in between eight and inches and two feet of growth and they're hanging off their, their uh, trellis strings and I just had to stop and do it. You know, so I, I had to train and prune my cucumbers this morning um, and as I'm walking past, I'm looking at my, my zucchinis that need all the dead leaves, you know, trimmed off so that, so that the uh, mildew doesn't get stuck into it. And I'm looking at those tomatoes over there that need pruning. And I'm looking at the weeds, you know, over the last month, the weeds have just taken over. So catch up. I need all the kids and all of you to come and, you know, catch me up in the garden. But no, thank you. Thank you for giving me that challenge and setting my priorities right. That lady said. Why is it that we are so particular about our cucumbers and tomatoes and their training but we neglect the important training? You know, we let those little things go in our children. When we first see it, we don't nab it and deal with it, but we let it go. It's a real object lesson that we can just be so focused on our work that we just miss, miss those things in our families completely. We need to finish up here. Just that. You can have the last one. I just wanted to add to what I basically was going to say. What Desley said, but women get their most satisfaction from their families, generally, and men get their most satisfaction from providing for the family. So a woman can be flat out busy doing what she has to do, but uh, like. Part of that is always surrounding the family. I think that the temptation is greater for a man to put his children second. There's always work to do. Everything's also important. Like what Rod's saying, they grow up and they're gone in a, in a, in a, in a blink of an eye. They're gone. And after they're gone, there's still tomatoes to work with and cucumbers and... In the end, who cares? Kids come first. Preach it, brother. Any last questions? Dave. So in, re- in relation to the um, 
conversation that we had with kids, I have a question about homeschooling because I'm seriously considering myself. I haven't actually converted my wife just yet because um, she's, she's not too sure. She can see the benefit, but she's not sure whether we can do it well, that we don't regret doing it. But the main thing that I see is that like, if you homeschool, like I think we mentioned it before, that uh, we get to spend more time with them as opposed to them spending their time with someone else that we don't really know what they believe in. Although we have our kids in the, our Adventist school, not all of them are Adventists and stuff like that, and the people that hang around. So I can s see that my child has changed somewhat since they're starting to go to school. So I'm just wondering any, if there's any like tips. I'm not sure whether you have sent your kids to school first and then transition into homeschooling, but if there's anything... <laughs> No, I say no. preach it, mate. Homeschooling or don't do anything, mate. You've got to homeschool. John the Baptist, homeschooled. Jesus Christ, homeschooled. The Israelites, all homeschooled. And true education is reflecting the character of Christ. The school ain't going to do that to you, bro. It's you and your wife. Now, I've known some women who said, yes, I'm going to homeschool. And then you see them a few years later and the kids are at school. I asked the husband, why, why isn't your wife homeschooling or why aren't you homeschooling? And he said, oh, we worked out my wife hasn't got the personality for it. Rubbish. <laughs> Rubbish. There's one thing you need to do to homeschool and it's denial of self. That's all it takes because it's going to deny self. Your house, the food won't be as good on the table. Your house won't be as clean if your wife's doing it because they can't do everything. In my, in my humble opinion, I, I think, I, oh, since wrong, I'll, I'll refine that. In my humble opinion, I think you need to cons really strongly consider homeschooling. Apart from that, you just got to do it. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org.